Welcome to Meet, Act, and Part. A Masonic podcast hosted by Midnight Freemasons Greg Knott, Darren Larners, Todd Creason, and Bill Hosler. The views, opinions and experiences that are expressed by the hosts or guests as individual Freemasons do not reflect the official position of any Grand Lodge, appendant body, or Masonic authority to which the hosts or guests belong. And now on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part. And this is episode 24 already, and we are your hosts, and I am Greg Knott. I am Bill Hostler. And I'm Darren Laners. And, you know, we're excited to have another great guest. I don't know how we keep finding all these great guests, but we do one by one by one. Tonight, we have John Paul Gomez, who is uh, fraternally known uh, across the, uh, the, at least the interwebs of fraternal ties. And so, JP, we welcome you to our podcast and uh, so glad to have you with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. If you can, tell us uh, a little bit. We were talking off air about some of your um, personal history and stuff, and I'd, I'd like you to talk about that and then transition that into some of your uh, Masonic background. Okay. I was, uh, the year was 1995 when I um, first became aware of the uh, Masonic movement. And what happened was uh, the cool kid, kids uh, back in high school invited me to join their group. And I later on found out that the group's name is Demolay. And uh, when I eventually got in, that's how I slowly learned about the, uh, the Freemasons. And I come from a very Catholic background, and uh, I heard from some of my cousins and uh, some relatives many uh, things that are a little, it, it doesn't paint Freemasonry in a positive light, especially that uh, my uncle is a priest and, uh, you know, I go to a Catholic school. But despite the things that I hear from them, I uh, the Freemasons that I meet personally, they don't fit the description of how some people try to paint them to be. You know what I mean? So as a Dimole, it I felt like it's a natural progression for me to eventually become a Freemason. I have always aspired to become a Freemason. So when I um, finally moved to Canada, uh, that was back in 2004, I waited about four years before I finally petitioned. And uh, uh, on 2008, I finally became a, a Freemason. Well, that's great. So I was reading your bio on your website, which is fraternalties.com, and we'll talk about that as we go. So you're a member of Doric Lodge number 316 in Toronto. That is correct. If you can, talk a little bit about Canadian masonry is and um, maybe some of your traditions there and... Uh, if, if you have any knowledge of, you know, U.S. masonry, maybe what's different, if anything. I'm actually an honorary member of a U.S. lodge. Uh, the name is Harmony Lodge Number 699 in Buffalo, New York. But I have never set foot 
in the United States. So I don't really uh, know a lot of things how you know how how Freemasonry operates there, but I have a little bit of experience of uh, Philippine Freemasonry uh, during my time as a Dimule, and and my understanding is that uh, Philippine Freemasonry and American Freemasonry kind of operate in the same way. So I will I will base my comparison on on that experience. Okay, over here in Canada. Uh, the main difference that I can see is the way our aprons look. And over here, uh, we wear, I guess you can call it the standard or generic uh, apron where all aprons look the same. If your lodge is not over a 100 years old, you will have a an apron with silver lining or silver fringes. And uh, if, if uh, your lodge becomes over a 100 years old, you get to wear an apron with gold lining. The other thing that uh, I know that is different is over here in, in Canada, we have uh, nine Masonic working tools, three on the first degree, uh, three on the second, and then another three tools on the third. And my understanding is that in the United States, there's only uh, two working tools on the final degree. What else? Uh, the, the other thing is, uh, I know that you guys use the... Uh, a trowel, uh, and it's a beautiful symbol, and uh, that we don't have that over here. We have the spirit instead. Very interesting. JP, why don't you tell us about how you started uh, Fraternal Ties, what got you interested in opening a essentially a web-based establishment uh, for Masonic Apparel, and what got you interested in Masonic fashion or apparel and uh, what made you start uh, Fraternal Ties? Yeah, so um, b before I immigrated here in Canada back in 2008, uh, I was working as a uh, graphic designer for a, uh, a Dimule back in the Philippines and we're working uh, on, um, we make, we make um, graphics for different Masonic lodges, okay, and that was in the Philippines. And uh, when I moved here, in Canada, tried to apply as a graphic designer, but but uh, no Canadian companies will accept me because I don't have the uh, what they call the Canadian uh, background, or or rather the Canadian uh, education to, to back me up. So uh, I ended up working as a security guard, and then later on, uh, I was able to uh, get a job as a call center agent, and. Eventually, uh, when I petitioned as a Freemason, I um, all of a sudden I had to wear, I had to buy a suit and tie, and uh, I, I I don't really, you know, I'm not the type of guy to wear a suit and tie. But all of a sudden, I find myself in a situation where I have to to buy those things. So I got my suit, but I don't have a tie, and I'm looking all over the internet looking for uh, anything Masonic, and uh, everything that I I uh, I come across with at the time are neckties that are very colorful with with big uh, uh, square encompasses in in very loud colors, right? And so to make the long story short, I couldn't you know I couldn't find anything that I liked. And my wife Rochelle, sensing my frustration, decided to challenge me and reminded me uh, that I know a little bit of you know I can design stuff. Why not? She she told me why not just create your own tie, you know. So that's exactly what I did. I designed the necktie, and I found a uh, suitable manufacturer, 
and the original idea is just to get one necktie for myself, right? But what ended up happening is they created two neckties instead. So when the tie finally arrived, I kept one for myself and I'm like, okay, I don't have, you know, uh, there's an extra tie. I decided to sell it off eBay for 99 cents. And what happened was after just a few hours, the 99 cents became $10 and then $30 and and, uh, you know, after a day of bidding, it went up to around uh, uh, over 70 US dollars. And uh, that is when we realized that there is actually, you know, a market for for neckties that are a little subdued, not, you know, not with the usual loud Masonic symbolisms in it. And uh, that that extra money that we got from the bidding, we reinvested and... Uh, that's how it began. It just, you know, it it uh, grew from there, from that ninety-nine cent necktie. Well, I think that's really an amazing story, and uh, we. I'm looking at the article that you put together in the Southern California Research Lodge in the Fraternal Review, which we did an episode on a couple times ago, and uh, and if anybody has ever seen your work, it is just high class. It's extremely well done. It is subtle yet artistic, and I guess that's what it's just a different style than anything I've seen. And you make, as you've made reference to, you saw those, you know, the the cheap ties that are, you know, ten bucks or whatever. In the search for a tie, that you design one, but what has, what's inspired you since that uh, uh, next, the next tie that you do? What 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 keeps inspiring you on these designs? Uh, growing up. I'm uh I was the shy kid, you know. I I never I I never involved myself in any uh, group activities or sports, but I'm I'm uh I'm the typical bookworm. Instead of during breaks, instead of going out to play with the other kids, I spend time uh you know, at the library just reading up on stuff. So, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not particularly good at expressing myself with you know uh to other people so i try to express myself by building creating stuff with my hands and uh i have a i have this fascination for for symmetry and the basic shapes uh and and uh when i became a freemason that interest blossomed because freemasonry is all about the proportions and and you know the knowledge of uh, symmetry and all that uh, coupled with the the allegories and the teachings and and all the uh, uh, the symbols in Freemasonry, that it it just becomes a creative fuel for me because I'm not particularly good at talking to people about how I would interpret a certain lesson or you know a certain symbol, but I like I like to do stuff with my hand and let that you know uh, ex- I, and and allow that work to to uh, to express me. If, if you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, I do. And I think that's, to me, one of the amazing things of Freemasonry is the various avenues that you can express yourself to interpret what you see, what you learn. In this case, it's fabric, or it could be on a, on a canvas or, you know, a, a, a computer-generated design for a website or whatever, or it could be verbal. It could, you know, it, it doesn't matter to me. I think that's the the great diversity uh, of masonry is that 
different ways that you can express yourself. We have the Midnight Freemason blogs. We have some people are, are better at, at the writing side of it. So that's, to me, it just uh, what you've done 100% complements all of those other uh, artistic ideas in my mind. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, just to add uh, one more thing to that, uh, when I when I moved to Canada, being I was already 24 years old when my when I moved, and I was a full grown adult. And uh, as you may know, with with uh, typical for the immigrants, you know, when I was new, I was having a hard time just learning to be uh, uh, to be more conversational with the English English language, right? But uh, my experience with with Freemasonry it allowed me to be more uh, to be more vocal and um, to be uh, to be more expressive with with you know the words that I use and um, you know it, it's an amazing organization that that uh, really can make uh, a good man better. It's really cliche, but that's what it is. So you have found those avenues for personal growth in. Uh... And in, in, in the article you didn't, I re- just read and you didn't mention earlier, you're actually master of your lodge. Is that, what, what, what have you found with those added responsibilities that either you didn't realize the master did or, um, what's your experience been like so far? Let me see if I can, this is actually something that I think about a lot. And I'm not sure if I, I would be able to express myself uh, uh, completely, but I will try. In, in a Freemasonry, I find it, how do you explain that? I hear Freemasons all the time talk about how we should spend less time doing, uh, you know, talking about the agenda and the meetings and the bickering and all that. And maybe we should just concentrate more on the brotherhood and and the esoteric pursuits and you know the hidden knowledge and all that and and there's a trend of freemasons and there, there's nothing wrong with with pursuing uh esoteric stuff and and when i was new i was all for that but as i gained more more knowledge and experience as a freemason and as i mature as a father myself i realized that to maintain a house, it is really important that you sit down and spend time to talk about the bills, the rent, how how to uh, properly receive guests, all the boring stuff. You need to get it. You need to get it right. And and uh, that that realization arrived arrived to me only when I finally became a worshipful master. That that sometimes those things that many people consider boring are actually the very uh, things that keep Freemasonry alive. I, I agree with you that, you know, those, those basic business functions, administrative functions are important because they keep the structure together. And JP, I agree with you. I mean, I was sitting here thinking to myself, it's like the old taco commercial. Why can't we have both? There is a fine line in, in Lodge, you know, there has to be the grown-up stuff, the paying of the bills and the minutes and things like that. And, and there, you know, there is a time and place for that. And we do need that because no organization can run without business. But 
a lot of people forget that we do have the esoteric stuff and the education, whether it be history, esoterica, whatever. I've always said that maybe we should have two different nights. Maybe one night for the people who want the esoterics and the education, one night for the business. In Indiana, they have an organ, they have a program where I, my lodge there in Indiana does do this, is that they'll have what they call a, they'll have a business meeting beforehand. It's just a regular business meeting. Anyone can go and visit. It's not, it's not tiled. And they go up and they visit, they, go up and they pay the bills and they read the minutes and such things. And then they go up afterwards and they have the actual stated meeting. And that's where they'll bring in a guest speaker or they'll they'll put the lodge at ease. And then they talk about a subject that they pick up for the night. Say, you know, George W. Washington was a Mason. And then they put the lodge at ease. And then everybody gets their turn talking. And to me, that's kind of like the best of both worlds because... You can't just go through life with one or the other. I believe there has to be a balance in everything. And that's just kind of the way I look at it. But I think you're right, JP. We, you know, so many people do poo-poo the um, business, but there has to be the business. As Masonic clothing people, you're kind of like the OG. You're kind of the guy that started this whole movement back when you first started creating your own ties. And I noticed that a couple episodes ago, we had Brother Dago Rodriguez on from the Southern California Research Lodge. And they did a recent special edition about Masonic fashion and Masonic style in their magazine, Fraternal Review. And you were one of the featured people in there. What did you think about that? Having your name and your opinion and stuff in print and them talking about you. What did you think about that? I, I felt honored. Uh, I felt proud. I felt nervous. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure if uh, you guys remember the old, the, the, uh, old magazine. Um, they're, they're not operating anymore. Hang on, let me let me just juggle my memory here. I, I know that there's the Living Stones mag- magazine, and then there's another one that was uh, uh, being operated by Brother uh, Corey Tigler. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. The Working Tools. The Working Tools, yes. Yeah, so uh, I was... Uh, I was I was featured at those magazines uh, from before, but not like the way Fraternal Ties was uh, uh, featured right now. I felt like um, I felt like I've made it. I felt like my work have been noticed, and uh, overall, it's a great it's a great honor. I, I feel uh, I feel grateful and, and uh, proud at the same time. To me, you're making an impact on the future of the craft in terms of the quality and, and, and those kinds of things. I think all these things we're doing, all of us collectively, are adding to a positive future. In, in Canada, specifically in your area, what do you see as the future of the craft? Is it? I'm sure like other places, it's probably shrank in membership. But are you finding the newer members that are coming in are, uh, like yourself, eager to learn and optimistic? Or what are your thoughts? I can, I can only experience from, I mean, I can only speak from what, what I experienced with my own lodge. So my experience here is that I don't, I don't feel like a lot of, of, uh, Canadians are actually, uh, actively seeking out Masonic membership. And, uh, I know that that is 
um, a universal problem. I know that some lodges in the United States are having the same problem, but uh, from from what I have experienced so far, I feel like American Freemasonry and and uh, Filipino Freemasonry are more more engaged in terms of like during my time as a demole back in the Philippines, if the father is a Freemason. Almost all the time, his wife will be a member of the Order of the Eastern Star. The son will be a Dimole. The daughters will be uh, Job's daughters. And everyone, all the families get involved, right? Over here in Canada, I feel like Freemasonry is more of an individual pursuit. Some of the most passionate and knowledgeable Freemasons that I know are Canadians. But... I feel like unlike our American and Filipino counterparts, we're not as, I don't think we don't do things together as much. But uh, as I have said, it's more of uh, an individualistic pursuit over here. But that is from my limited experiences as a Canadian Freemason. I, like I said, I've never set foot in uh, the United States and I have never been to a, to, a, uh, to a Masonic Lodge in the Philippines as a Freemason. I've been there as a demole, but not as a Freemason. I think your observation is really spot on. I mean, there's certainly some members in our areas that their fathers or maybe grandfathers were members. But I think part of it's that uh, U.S. and Canadian independent spirit that, you know, people do seek it out themselves versus the long family legacy. Though there are plenty of examples I know of in the U.S., but... Like myself, you know, my dad or grandfathers, they, they weren't Freemasons. Some of my great uncles were, but, uh, I had to go all the way back to my great grandfather and it was just circumstance or, or happenstance. I found that he was a member when one night when I was flipping through, uh, lodge records. So there was no tradition. Uh, I think like you observed it, that's how I know I, I discovered it was just kind of, uh, you know, on my own. There wasn't, uh, anybody pressing me to join. It was something I, uh, sought out. And uh, I think that's that's a pretty common experience here. So yeah, I think you're spot on. It, it it is really yeah, it is really interesting that we're talking about tradition because in the Philippines it is really a great privilege to become a Freemason, and your your average worker will have a hard time getting into Filipino Freemasonry because of the dues and all that, and a lot of a lot of uh, the brothers back there are acutely aware of the role that Freemasonry played to establish the Republic of the Philippines as we know it. The revolution that happened that ultimately freed uh, the Philippines from the colonial rule of the Spanish was because of uh, clandestine Freemasonry. I can go on and tell you a bit of story about that, but, but for the interest of time, let's say that, that the Freemasons are, are instrumental in you know the Filipino independence. Even the Philippine flag, if you if you look at it, it was designed by General Emilio Aguinaldo, the first president of the Philippines, and he's a very zealous Freemason, and he designed the flag himself. And it is full of Masonic symbolism, from the collar to the uh, equilateral triangle to the three stars to the sun in the middle of the three three stars. It's all Masonic. That's why a lot of Filipino men aspire to become Freemasons because of that rich history. That's that's really awesome. I 
I think, you know, of course, the beginning of our country in the U.S., there was lots of stories of, you know, the impact of the Freemasons. And it looks like over a couple of centuries, we've lost some of that enthusiasm. But it's great to hear that in the Philippines, it still has that, uh, what I think is the proper stature of, of being having it being looked up to in society as as something that you desire to become. So To both your points, it's interesting uh, regarding... Filipino history, I did not realize that the Freemasonry had such an impact on its uh, independence, much like Greg said, how it had influence here on the American independence movement. And then also, uh, I know it is sometimes argued, I don't know uh, historically how much truth there is to it, uh, but I have heard or read certain things regarding the French Revolution stating that that Freemasons were uh, somewhat involved in French Revolution as well. So just interesting that we continue to crop up in uh, these stories regarding revolutions, especially given in the Constitution, especially Anderson's Constitution. There's uh, a lot of, and we still see it also in uh, our officer installation here in the United States, especially where it talks about being a loyal citizen, not not participating in any uh, movement that would try to overthrow the government, but yet we uh, seem to have had our hand in, in that, at least uh, here in America. And, uh, looks like the Philippines as well, and then potentially France, and I'm sure other places as well that I'm not thinking of. So uh, I guess, JP, let me ask you this. Uh, what What do you see as the future of Freemasonry? Do you see do you think that there's a revival potentially uh, on the way, or do you kind of think that this is what we have and this is how uh, we're going to see the status quo going forward? What are, what are your thoughts regarding our, our future? Hmm. I, I, I guess I, I will try to answer that by uh, telling a story about how clandestine Freemasonry, okay, uh, eventually led to that Filipino revolution and eventually led to our independence. So during those times, one man, Dr. Jose Rizal, a Filipino uh, doctor, he wanted to become a Freemason. And if if memory serves me right, they're not being he he was not being the uh, the lodges that were established in the Philippines during those times would only accept Spanish blood, and they will not accept any Filipino uh, uh, candidates at all. So, Dr. Jose Rizal, being a doctor, he had a little bit of money, and he was able to go abroad, and he went to Spain. And from there, he was able to petition and join a lodge, and upon becoming a Freemason, I think what happened was he came to a realization of... Um, you, you know the idea of uh, the equality, liberty, and fraternity, and he felt welcome, and and something awoke in, inside him, and after that he wrote he wrote uh, a novel, and that novel was read by by many uh, uh, Filipinos, and that inspired them to create Masonic lodges, but you know quasi Masonic lodges, and. The idea is that even though our skin is different, even though we're, we're different from our colonizer, we can become, we can, we can become like one. 
I'm sorry, I'm not, I don't think I'm explaining it right. But, you know, the idea of, of uh, equality and liberty and fraternity was instilled among Filipinos. And that led to, uh, to the revolution and, you know, the opening up of the mind and, and uh, people waking up to certain, certain truths. Now, you ask me, uh, what, what is the future of, of uh, Freemasonry? To me, especially during th- this difficult time and um, I'm, I'm talking about uh, I'm talking about people being too what's the term like very idealistic being very nationalistic and being very somewhat like tribal and and those things can lead to a lot of disagreement among people from different tribes from different nations from different cultures and beliefs I think the role that Freemasonry plays here is is teaching people that there are some universal ideas that we can all agree upon. And once we realize and internalize those ideas, I think that can ultimately lead to a a greater understanding between people and um, this is actually one of the reasons why I like to incorporate different symbolisms Masonic symbolisms in uh, you know in my art and in the uh, the neckties and the t-shirts that I produce because I want to slowly open up certain Masonic lessons that I resonate with that that help me open up my heart and my mind and be more tolerant and you know, those things. A lot of, I have received a lot of negative feedback in the past from, from Freemasons because they, they feel like, they feel like I'm, uh, you, you know, you know the oath that we make that we will never write, indict, mark, print, carve, delineate and, you know, all that stuff. They, they feel like I'm exposing, uh, secrets of Freemasonry. And to that, I would say that anyone who have a little bit of internet knowledge can look up those things and and besides according to um to the uh, United Grand Lodge of England you can actually begin you you can talk about those things the only thing that is actually considered a secret and and please guys correct me if i'm wrong are the the modes of recognition of a freemason so uh with that i think i think it is important that the conversations that we have as a Freemason should somehow not overflow to the outside world, but but I think we have a responsibility to let other people know of what it is exactly that we do as a Freemason. Yeah, I, I agree 100% with you, JP, uh, obviously drag myself and Bill all right for the Midnight Freemason blog and uh, we've all I'm sure I know personally I have received some of those emails from uh, readers who have you know said that I've given away the quote-unquote secrets and I agree completely with you that you know in my mind the only secrets that we have are the modes of recognition especially here in Illinois our ritual is uh, not ciphered at all so basically the only thing that's left out of our ritual are those modes of recognition but 
everything else is in plain English for anyone who were to happen upon a Masonic monitor to read. So, and also, as you said, all of this stuff has been probably on the internet. Um, keep on, uh, JP, keep on doing what you're doing. Um, there's obviously a huge market for it, and I think you'll find a lot more supporters uh, than you would find detractors. So, you know, keep doing what you're doing. I 100% agree. And, you know, the thing, yes, you can look up all you want to know on the Internet, but unless you experience Freemasonry, uh, you just don't get it. And I think, JP, to your point, Freemasonry provides a platform that all of us, regardless of our ethnicity, our background, our nationality, our occupation, our wealth, or lack of, we can come together as uh, on the common level and be brothers. And to me, in this, also to your point of the of the the tribalism and the things that at least we're seeing here in North America, uh, that's not healthy for me to humanity. And so, what we offer is is a platform for people to come together with all those different backgrounds, yet to meet on a on the level and exchange thoughts and ideas in a, in a civil platform that I think is vital to the crucial of not only our country, the world. And I think as we talked about these revolutions in countries that help liberate themselves from colonialism, well, and the role Freemasonry played, to me that is why it played those roles, because it 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 was a place where people could be equal and talk about democracy and use those democratic values uh, in the lodge that then transitioned out into society and in many cases here in North America, the Philippines, South America, and other places, uh, born free countries. And so that is why, to me, Freemasonry is still important in the values that we uh, stand for. Uh, JP, you know, you started out with your ties, and I know that when you first started out, it was like, as soon as you put out an email saying that, you had a new design, and they were snapped up within minutes, and that's a great thing. I mean, people just, if you snooze, you lose, and that was awesome, and they continue to be great sellers. And and I know over the years that you've added um, T-shirts, and you've added watches, that wooden watches you have um, for sale, tennis shoes that you've had. You've had all these other little uh, things that you've sold under your name. Do you have any other projects coming up that you're, you'd like to share? Or would you, would you like to keep those a Masonic secret too? Or What's up next for Fraternal Ties? Thank you for that question. Originally, I actually never set up uh, to be, you know, to sell t-shirts and to sell other merchandise outside of, of neckties. And so what happened was for several years, we are only uh, producing neckties for Freemasons. And on the side, on my social media, uh, and I'm talking in particular Facebook at the time, I would produce Masonic logos and Masonic graphics, and I would, I would share those things for free at, at the original resolution, high resolution. And, and my wife, Rochelle, she, she has more business sense than I do, would keep on warning me to, hey, you know what, you add your watermark to that, you know, you're giving it at a very high resolution, do something, and and I never, I did not listen to her at the time, so for many years, I kept on producing, you know, graphics and, and artworks, and 
after some time, you know, it occurred to me that people are actually making of those free graphics that I've been producing because it's easy for them to take it and, you know, all they have to do is find a, a, a print-on-demand company and they can, you know, they can just upload my designs and sell it as their own. And so now we are also making t-shirts and the reason for that is we're trying to combat, we're trying to fight, you know, people from from copying and, and stealing my designs that got nothing to do with the neckties at all. You ask if we have other products or merchandise, and yeah, we actually do, and it's actually sitting right in front of me right now. It, it's a, a Masonic LED lamp, and... Uh, I cannot tell you the design yet, but uh, what I can tell you is it will be available in about, I would say, two weeks from now. So, um, as usual, uh, it would be it will be available on the website at fraternalties.com. But as Brother Bill have mentioned, usually when we announce the availability through email, it, it pretty much gets sold out right away. And, and, uh, one of the reasons for that is because I, you know, my wife and I, we have four kids and I don't, I don't like to spend so much time doing the business. I don't want to get so much merchandise and have boxes upon boxes of stuff here at home. So we, we produce stuff in very limited edition. We only take, you know, sell what we can, we can comfortably sell and <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I remember there was like one t-shirt that you sold that I wanted really bad and I never did get it, but it was sold out way before I could do it. But Do you remember the design? It was the maroon one that had the big square and compass on it. There for a while you were into martial arts. Are you still doing that? Not anymore because uh, of the uh, pandemic situation. But um, yeah, the reason why I got involved in martial arts was my my health was so bad that my doctor had to tell me point blank that I would probably die before I I can see my my youngest kids reach adulthood. And and I used to smoke a lot and you know uh, I was diagnosed with with severe apnea. And and uh, to hear from you know from a person from a doctor that. I probably will not live long that that triggered something in me and and uh, uh, my daughter uh, she's funny now but she's in her mid-teens at the time she was the first to join and then and then my uh, my 11 year old son he was six year old back uh, back in those days he he joined as well and I felt inspired to to uh, you know <laughs> to follow the kids and and take care of my health at the same time and, and uh, th- that's how it started. Well, why don't we uh, we'll kind of wrap this episode up. Let me s- kind of summarize where we've been. We've been talking with JP. He uh, is a demole and immigrated to Canada and sought out the craft there. And it's been interesting to hear your perspective on that journey uh, to the master's chair where you are at today. I think I've either been on your email list or certainly on your Facebook page. I've long admired those ties because they are uh, pieces of work. And I think the fact that you make limited edition makes them just all that uh, more special. We've, we've sure appreciated having you with us tonight. And, uh, 
encourage everybody to visit your website, fraternalties.com. Can't wait to see what that LED light will look like. Uh, I'm sure you won't have very very many of them very long because I know you, you sell out pretty quick. So let me just again express my uh, gratitude to you and uh, compliment you on all the outstanding work you do, not only with your artistic ability, but certainly uh, the impact you're making in your lodge and in your community. Is, uh, I, I, no question that uh, that's important work and uh, that we're all engaged in. And it's so nice to meet a, a brother from you know another part of the world that's doing those work in the quarries as much as we are. So I appreciate you joining us tonight. I just wanted to also thank you, JP, for joining. As Greg said, I've been a long, uh, long admirer of your work. Thank you again for your time and uh, for bearing with these. Uh, stay in touch with us, and if you ever want to come back on the show, uh, you know, just shoot us an email, and we'll be more than happy to get you on here. The uh, pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for for uh, taking the time to uh, to listen to me and for inviting me. More power to uh, to all of you and the podcast. Thank you so much. Well, again, thank you, and thank thank you to everyone that's been listening uh, to all of our episodes. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, this is episode 24, so we're going to be working on something a little special for number 25. And uh, But until then, we hope you take care of yourself. And till next time on Meet, Act, and Part, have a good evening. Thank you for listening to Meet, Act, and Part. For more information about our show, visit our website at www.meetactandpart.com. While there, please consider supporting the show by sponsoring us on Patreon. Until we meet again, may we meet.